This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. Courtney Coulson is an Australian detransitioner and YouTuber exploring the real psychological and social motivations behind gender dysphoria. In this conversation, Courtney discusses a topic not nearly covered enough on this podcast, which is the role of online fandoms in rapid onset gender dysphoria and motivating adolescent females to transition. A quick note to listeners, Courtney is a quick thinker and this conversation takes a lot of interesting turns. So if you're like me and often listen to podcasts with the speed increased, best to leave this one at one. Uh, without further ado, here's our conversation with Courtney Coulson. All right, welcome back to Transparency. Um, I am Aaron Terrell. He is Aaron Kimberly, and we are very excited to have uh, Courtney Coulson here with us today to talk about her experience of gender dysphoria, transition, detransition, and everything in between. So thank you so much for being here, Courtney. Glad to be here, A-A-Ron squared. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a new title. <laughs> awesome awesome so i would like to start for you because you're you, maybe start here like how old are you currently and how old were you when you first transitioned detransitioned and like to kind of place all that experience in the uh kind of cultural current moment it's only just occurred to me right now so i'm 32 and realizing oh i transitioned when i was 22 i'm oh. so old how did this happen 10 years passed. Yeah, somehow 10 years passed, which honestly kind of makes me feel a little better about it. Oh, yeah, wow, I was was a different person. It was a different time. Uh, I first heard about transsexuality. So, you know, I was a wholesome Catholic suburban schoolgirl, you know, very sheltered, and didn't know what a transsexual was. And then I was talking to a drag queen that I'd met at WAPA, the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, I learned, I, I studied costume design then. And he, so he was a drag queen. I went, so this, this drag queen, this transvestite, because obviously I've seen Rocky Horror, so I know what that word means. And then this transsexual, I think, also heard that word in Rocky Horror. That's my only <laughs> understanding. That's my only frame of reference. So what do all those words mean? And so he broke it down. Okay, so that's a drag queen. That's a transsexual. That's a transvestite. Oh, okay. And that was about, I was 19 years old. Oh, okay, interesting. Good to know. And that was the end of that thought, uh, line of thought. And then around 21, that's 2013. Yeah, I suddenly developed this rapid onset gender dysphoria, decided, oh, all my problems, all my life, they must have been gender dysphoria. It makes so much sense. But on my YouTube channel, I break down all the things that it actually was, including autoantrophilia. But I mean, I keep discovering new things all the time. I read a lot of science, neurology, psychology books. And well, the most recent thing I've discovered, which may be applicable, Sorry, this is a long intro. I just need to. I'll go for it. Um, So, uh, well, I've been suffering with what I've called phantom pain. I was hit by a car, uh, not last year, but the year before. 
and I just had this all over pain. And it's not quite, uh, what do they call it? Persistent pain, not quite fibromyalgia. It's not quite this, uh, you know, neuralgia, all those things. It defied conventional diagnoses. And I've recently discovered, well, what's happening is there's nothing stru structurally wrong with me anymore. My brain has this conversion disorder and may always have been prone to that. So a conversion disorder particularly affects individuals who struggle to communicate their emotions. They may have had a traumatic background, autism, um, any sort of mental, neurological, psychological issue, preventing them from making sense of their interoception. Sorry, I'm trying to keep this as straight as well. When you are not really able to connect with your body, understand what it's feeling and how to react to that, you tend to have, you are more prone to these conversion disorders. And what I'm starting to realize is so not only is my brain converting stress, PTSD, whatever, into physical pain, I think that's probably what's happening with a lot of individuals who transition, especially those on the autism spectrum, because we know they have alexithymia or alexithymia mm -hmm. and low interoception. So that's probably what happened to me. I don't know if I'm autistic. Long story there. I just got my medical records from when I was a child. Woo! My mother. Oh, we'll get into her in a minute. <laughs> but yeah, I think I had poor interoception. I didn't have adults around me who were able to go, you know, ask me, he said, Courtney, how are you feeling? Could you, you try to describe what's going on in your body? What's going on, you know, just in general in your life, in your head? I don't think we're doing that enough with these kids, especially the more intelligent, introverted, complicated kids. And so they're going to leap on to the, 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 the main, uh, the most popular problem at the mm -hmm. moment, the, the cool problem, the sexy problem to have. Um, you know, that was the same thing with the repressed memories and eating disorders and cutting. And we have these sort of, fads these trends with mm -hmm. mental illnesses for some reason and so yeah i think that's what is happening but there's also tying into our topic of today the sexual component so and i see you have the uh, auto heterosexual book on the shelf there but the others so maybe in one of my videos i said there's probably two motivations as to why someone transitions and it's either you're homosexual or it's auto heterosexual. And now I'm wondering maybe if, you know, autism and neurological conditions like that can kind of fit to the middle or they're in a Venn diagram. We'll see. So I think they very, very often overlap with the second category. I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that whole turning, turning inwards can cause the auto sexuality, but yeah, go yeah, on. So now I'm wondering. It's, it's the, it all comes down to interoception. If we had to even get it lower beneath, there's all these circles, these layers. So yeah, there's the, the sexual orientation is one thing, but I think at the very, very bottom, this is my new discovery, interoception. And so if you're gay, if you're an heterosexual, if you're autistic, if you any of those I, I've noticed with these individuals, what they suffer with is I have a desire to be in the world in a certain way and I want to wear these clothes or I want to be able to have a sexual relationship in this kind of way, you know, or I'm 
a woman, but I'm attracted to women and I would like to have sex in a kind of heterosexual way. So there's that. Or why I'm not attracted to others, but I'm attracted to the idea of myself as the opposite sex. So it's just, it's your interception. There's something gone awry with how you perceive your own body, what it should be in your mind versus what it is. Blowing my mind. This is, I think you're really onto something here. That's very interesting. Okay. Well, see, I can listen to audiobooks all day at work. I'm a seamstress. I'm a furniture upholsterer. So for the seven hours a day, four days a week, can't work full time yet. I was injured. But anyway, for my my work week, I'm just listening to science books. It's really handy. <laughs> nice. You can, can yeah continuously absorb new information. Uh, yeah, while working. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because there is a study by. Uh, um, by by Zucker and others that uh, where they did um, MRI study an MRI study and they did find and I don't I don't remember now exactly what cohort they studied but they did find a difference in the area of the brain thought to be related to perception of body. So yes, I mean that I that I tracks with what you're saying. Study. Yeah, I think I've read that same study. It was on trans identified women or trans men i always have to say both just in case my audience doesn't know which is which so be very clear um but women born female identifying as male they would <laughs> touch the trans man's chest i think there was like a brush or something that would brush over the chest and they would try to uh, detect any differences there and yeah there was less sensation or there's less integration of those senses I can't remember this. It's a long time since I've read it, but something about they weren't feeling their chest the way other people normally would. And it wasn't to do with surgery, by the way. This was, I think, pre-op. Well, they did pre and post-op, but on the top of my head, yeah, there was some unusual difference there. That tracks. Hmm. You can tell I've been on the internet for a while, and then I have a lot of commenters correct me all the time, because now I'm doing... Okay, just to be clear. Okay, just to... I have to cite my sources and make sure I am being as clear as possible. So if you want to like go back to, yeah, you, you were talking a little bit about when you were young, something about your your, your mother in there somewhere. But um, but yeah, what's your yeah. early life experience of, of, of gender dysphoria? It sounds like you weren't even conscious of the idea of transition until you were 19, 20. But what was your... Yeah, so I was always a tomboy and didn't develop any sort of sex drive, which now I'm wondering, and I'll do it. I need to do a video on asexuality. I've been meaning to it for a long time. There's a lot to delve into there, but I do honestly, now I, I am of the opinion that asexuality is a uh, pathology. It is not a sexual orientation. Human beings need to reproduce is one of the most fundamental things it would be as if you had no desire to eat or sleep. Well, that's a pathology. That's not just a, a type of being. You need to have those drives. Uh, and having been asexual, I can tell you, it also affects the way you interact with others as an adult. You are losing this subtext, this unspoken communication. There's this dynamic between men and women or even people of the same sex, it's just something I was not getting. And well, can we? We should kind of unpack the the 
what you're describing as asexuality, though, because I think a lot of people hear asexuality and they think lack of sexual desire altogether, which is not your yeah. situation. Your your experiences of auto a lack of allosexuality, a lack of an external sex drive. Yes. So, and that was something I kind of had to come to terms with very late in life and putting it into, into place of, oh, so that's why I wasn't looking at others in the way. So, you know, everyone else is hitting puberty. They're starting to be interested in each other. I'm not interested in other people, but I start to have these fantasies about being bigger and more masculine and all that. And I didn't really put two and two together as, oh, is this a sexual orientation or just, identify with these male characters i think it would be nice to look that way i want to be treated differently um so that's where i feel that auto heterosexuality is not and phil illy talks about the same thing it's, it's an orientation rather than a fetish because i think fetish just means it's this instant gratification at this specific stimulus but it goes beyond that because it's more about how well, I would like to be treated this way or seen this way or interact with the world in a certain way. So it goes beyond the bedroom, just a masturbatory exercise. Um, there is some sort of gratification there that goes beyond that, which makes sense that that's why people would want to transition. That's why people cross stress. It's, it goes beyond just fetish, fetishistic gratification. Yeah, I think that's why it's, it's it does a disservice, and I'm not even saying oh it's it's not right for autosexuals to describe it as as a fetish. I just mean like it, it's 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 counterproductive to de describe it as such because very few people with that experience relate with it being a fetish. Like it just doesn't feel that way, and so it's um uh you're not convincing many people when you just like oh it's just a fetish. Like no, it's not. So nobody's going to identify with that um with that framing. Yeah, of it. I think maybe you would say transvestite is probably the better term for someone who it, it is purely a fetish they love wearing women's underwear they'll masturbate women's underwear they have sex while wearing women's lingerie um but the rest of their life they just go through as a man they have no issues with that so there's a complete separation between their private life and the public life there's no conflicts there um and that would be the same thing you know like bdsm the most probably famous uh, fetish or sexual subculture. And for those individuals, it tends to be just in the bedroom. It doesn't extend out of that. Although I have been researching, ages ago, I was researching into the service submissive. So there's a subculture where these are, you know, married couples who there's the dominant, there's a submissive, and they just they live out that role 24-7. So again, that calls into question, is it an orientation? Is it a lifestyle? Is it a fetish? So I would say, at least in my uh, un, uh, unqualified opinion, it seems that it's almost a, a spectrum. I know that word's used a lot, but it does go from, okay, this is just a little bit of fun in the bedroom to I kind of like doing this all the time to this is my identity now. I think that's all on the same continuum. I don't think they're different things. Yeah, that's that's a good. I'm thinking 
with with yeah bdsm that could be like a kink or a fetish specifically reserved for sex or then it can be extended out to the the entire life but what that's that's it's still not an orientation it's still just going to be like kind of making your fetish your lifestyle um and yeah. so that's still fancy yeah that'd be a different thing than that that subconscious internal fetish. compulsion yeah. to be that which you are attracted to i think that's more yeah. a, a much more base level thing yeah, do they go fetish to lifestyle or fetish to orientation? Are those the same kind of on the same track? That's the fascinating thing about psychology is you are trying to create a narrative through phenomenological data, I guess. We are witnessing, for example, lots of teenage girls suddenly wanting to be boys. What labels do we put on that? How do we describe that? How do we explain how what's happening and why? And I was someone who has had to do a lot of research recently uh, on that, but also on to, I'll use PTSD, not to bring that. And I'm trying to stay focused, but this is actually relevant. Um, so with PTSD, I've read so many books on different perspectives on what is happening. Is it a neurological thing? Is it the brain is overreacting to stimulus or it's interpreting all stimulus as negative. Is it a kind of a brain trauma? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just so many theories about well, what actually causes this and what's the mechanism. Um, also, they may all be right. Maybe they're all wrong. It's nothing you can truly quantify. And that is why we have these never-ending philosophical discussions about transsexuality, auto-heterosexuality, because we see the behavior, but the underlying mechanisms, I mean, that goes beyond even our most advanced screening, you know, MRI, brain imaging. We don't have the ability to decode the human brain like that. So you decided at some point to, uh, to transition. Where did you... Hmm. Where did that concept, like, where did you, uh, uh, you know, encounter that idea? What what about it appealed to you? I mean, obviously, you, what you kind of described earlier makes sense why it appealed to you. But, um, yeah, eventually, you, yeah, you came across this idea, decided to go down that path. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So I guess we go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, maybe not early childhood, but so I am the only girl, I've got two younger brothers, and I think my mother, I think she was narcissistic, although she's developed traits of that uh, later on in life. But yeah, when I was a little girl, she, she just wanted, well, the funny thing, so I was born bald. My brother's full head of hair. I did not. And my mom really, really wanted to be able to tie my hair up in the little font, little fountain, little ponytail thing they put. I don't know. Everyone wants to do that to little girls. It looks so stupid. Stop doing that. Do it to little boys as well. Um, but yeah, so uh, maybe that was a sign from the beginning. You're not going to have this little princess that you wanted. Um, and always into boy stuff, always into whatever my, my brothers were into, Transformers and uh what was the other uh, small soldiers and all those sorts of movies? We were watching all those sorts of things together. Um, although they watch Saddle Club with me, I don't know if you have Saddle Club in the rest of the world. I don't know. Okay, the Saddle Club 
it's a bunch of girls who have horses and that's what the TV show is all about. And my brothers watch Saddle Club with me. So, you know, at that age, you're not really distinguishing gender in any specific way. And that was my experience until I hit puberty. It was this beautiful world of bliss where there was no voice things, girls things. We were all we all loved Pokemon. We all loved Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. There was no distinction. Um and then puberty happened and it was just devastating for me. And I don't really know why. My mother was the one who suggested I might be autistic, which is weird because all my childhood development up until that point was normal. I had no difficulties in school. The more research I'm doing, I'm writing a memoir. I'm doing a lot of digging into early childhood school records my my academic performance was great in primary school and had no issues with friends I mean I was a bit of a lone wolf I was happy to be alone or with other people I didn't mind kids playing with my toys I was kind of cool with whatever I really wasn't an anxious kid I uh, just went with the flow and then well I've pinpointed it to this specific thing and I, I this is the only working theory I have we'll never know the truth definitively but for my 11th birthday I got gastro and I just was not right after that I think something happened with my gut microbiome my immune system suffered my food tolerances went way down I see whatever and then I just I was sick all the time, had IBS symptoms. This is before FODMAPs and no one was even giving me that kind of help. Just eat more fiber. No. Um, and then my personality really changed as well. But because I'm 11 years old, going through puberty, this go, oh, yeah, she's just going crazy. It's like Carrie, you know, female puberty. just a real bitch, I guess. <laughs> um, no, no, there was something really wrong. Uh, my and I was reading my so I got my medical notes they go right back to the age of 10 everything's fine until 11 or 12 oh well she's getting to fights in school she's having these meltdowns uh, academic performance is way down she's having all these social and sensory issues she has all these paranoid delusions uh, but my mum did well she took me to one therapist only after she, she went to my GP uh, I'm reading in the notes she went to my GP and said, oh, I've been doing some research and I think my daughter is autistic. Um, so my GP writes, oh, well, she's been doing research. Yeah, it seems like she, uh, Courtney, has these symptoms. So we'll do some further investigation. So I'm referred to, it was actually a couple of therapists. Uh, and, and both of them said, oh, she's a complicated case. We want to see her some more. But we don't believe in labels and putting kids in boxes. We won't just jump straight to autism. We think it's something a little more complicated. And that was just earth shattering to me because the way it had been told to me when I was 12, 13 years old, my mom showed me the letters. Going, Can you believe, look at this ridiculousness. I don't believe in putting kids in boxes and labels. You need this autism label. Oh yeah, you're right, mom. These idiots. No, if I had actually been able to read that letter and with the maturity I have now going, no, they're just saying it's not a textbook case. Whatever this is, something else is going on. We need to do further investigation. Take our time. All my mum wanted was the autism diagnosis so that I could get exemptions at school, maybe get on the disability pension. I don't know what her plan was. She's a lunatic. 
<laughs> but yeah, that was earth shattering to me, realizing, oh, the story I'd always been told is way more complicated. And maybe it was a conversion disorder that I was going through puberty. I was going through all these changes. I didn't know how I felt or how to communicate that. And then my mom comes along and says, ah, it's autism. So I start doing research on autism. And I think, oh, maybe this is it. And then even my father commented, it seems like your autism symptoms are getting way worse now after the diagnosis. Oh, you're just being ableist. You know, that's all I said about it. Okay, we dropped it. But I think he was absolutely right. I think because I'd had this idea put in my head, it became a lot more exaggerated. And later on, I think I was susceptible to the transgender thing as well because I had these confusing feelings about my sexuality. It's just, you know, I think women are attractive, but I I can't relate to them, but I kind of, do I want to be with them? I don't know. I I didn't have a normal sexual orientation at that point to guide me. I just had all these confusing feelings. But at the time, this was... Late teens, early twenties. This is I'm spending a lot of time on Tumblr. Uh, oh, before we get to that point, always wanted to be a bodybuilder. I am now bodybuilding for myself. I don't know if I could ever compete, but yeah, it's it's I'm building muscle, not trying to look like a man. But now I'm I'm back at it, having detransitioned, and I just I feel great. I feel really comfortable and going. I think that was a, an element too. For whatever reason, yeah, I am more comfortable being more masculine. I like my deeper voice. I like my hairline. I like the muscles. But as a kid, seeing female bodybuilders on TV, everyone around me, my brothers, my friends, my, my dad, or even my mom, go, ew, that's disgusting. They're like, man, oh, ew. oh, so I, I'm sitting there going, oh, that's so cool. Oh, it's not cool. Oh, okay. I should feel ashamed about that, I guess. Um, so I think those subconscious things played a factor as well. A lot of trans men, lesbians, and, and the like have difficult relationships with their mother. I definitely do. She has a very conservative, traditional perspective on what a woman should be. And I think if I had a mother who said, you can be whatever you want, you can wear whatever you want, cut your hair however you want, cut your own hair, go ahead, I'm not going to stop you. Um, that would have been great to have a mother who was so supportive and said, explore, discover who you are. You don't have to be me. It doesn't matter what you, you do. I'll still love you. My mother, on the other hand, you should wear these. these I'll give you all my hand-me-downs. You should dye your hair red because my hair's red. We'll both be matching. We'll do all the matching things. And yeah, no, I was conditioned to be her little mini-me, to do the things she wanted, to buy the things she wanted. Yeah. And it's taken me a long time to untangle that. It wasn't outright abuse, but I was neglected. I was alone. I was misunderstood. And so then comes along the the church of transsexuality. Um, I'm on Tumblr in my teens. And also, by the way, the, the medical notes, the psychological notes say a lot of things. But she seems lonely. She seems depressed. She seems, you know disconnected all those sorts of words no i didn't if you want to do anything about so i spent a lot of time online on the tumblers and this is the height of super who lock supernatural sherlock doctor who 
And uh, these are shows that are very male-dominated. These are not shows that portray women as diverse, as powerful, as compelling as the men. No, no, no. The women in these stories are side characters. And so I think a lot of people who, girls who transition or identify as non-binary or what have you, I think that's a huge factor as well that you look on around at your media and you don't see any women like you. They're sexualized, they're in the makeup and the heels and they're just there to be uh, the object of the hero's affection or to be rescued, the damsel in distress. But yeah, I think that was definitely me when going, well, I feel more like the male characters and I feel cool when I dress like them and I wish I had the body like them and, and all these things. And so it, it builds this fantasy and there was this erotic aspect to it as well, which I didn't quite fully understand back then. Um, but once I got on testosterone, I think that, that erotic aspect, because I'm on testosterone, definitely increased even if I wasn't still I'm very oblivious. I still wasn't aware of what this was and what it was what was happening. So you're you're absorbing this. I remember that the the super hulak content on uh, on Tumblr. Um, you and also what that's the thing with Tumblr is the uh, around that time, um, the all the kind of fandoms, be it the Harry Potter or the yeah the the British super hulak stuff or whatever. It's all intertwined with the gender ideology stuff so it's like because all that activist stuff was on both were on tumblr tumblr similar simultaneously it was attracting all the girls into the fandoms and then all the um all the yeah the postmodern queer theory stuff we didn't know that you know it's not it's not explained as that it's explained as um uh well just the way things things are in the in the in the good progressive way to be and so these girls who go on there very innocently um we had helena uh kirshner on a long time ago and she was talking about went through this in, in very uh thorough detail she she was brought to tumblr for all the um uh, uh for for classic rock content <laughs> like 13 14 years old and then that merged into uh harry potter stuff because she you know she was really young and she liked Harry Potter, you know, and then that got merged into the fandom, like the slash fan fiction stuff. And then that's merged in with the queer uh, kind of trans celebration stuff. And so it's like this, slash, this funnel. Yeah. Sorry. The, the, the slash stuff. Uh, I think I do mention that in my auto heterosexuality video, but yes, there's so many trans girls, trans, well, trans men, so girls identifying as trans, or, or non-binary or that, um, they are all, a lot of them are really into the slash or the yaoi as it's the uh, Japanese term. And they love looking at some pretty hardcore erotic art of male-on-male action, uh, usually anime or manga. And I, my theory, I, I someone else told me this, like, that is so true, yeah that why women connect more with it goes back even to i don't know how it could be sherlock and, and john watson back in the 19th century but we definitely know for sure that women were super into uh was it spork kirk and spock mm -hmm. that is the og ship 
Uh, later on, it was Miami Vice, uh, Tubbs and Crockett. And women were really into these guys having erotic relationships together. Why is that? Well, it's because any heterosexual relationship is 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 lopsided. The power dynamic's all wrong. And women want to be able to feel powerful and equal to a man, especially if you're heterosexual. You look around in fiction and porn, especially porn, it's horribly degrading. There is no story where there's a man and a woman who are equal, standing, socially, power dynamic. Uh, it's not a love between equals. In in Slash, it is equal a lot of the time. Well, okay, maybe some women get obsessed with the top and bottom thing, but still, it's still better. If you're a bottom as a man, you still have a higher status than a woman in this erotica. But... uh yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to that, where girls watch and read this stuff and think, "Yeah, I I would feel better at, at, in a gay a gay male relationship." That's the wild thing: is these girls transition, and then they want to be with men, but then realizing, "Oh, I'm attracted to heterosexual men who are no longer attracted to me because now I'm a man." So it's just, it's sad. It's just, it's a circle that just trap themselves in. They're chasing a fantasy. With yeah, with the the inundation of of porn, um, so yeah, everything you're saying is is accurate. I totally agree with it. The um about the girls' motivation, but that, I think that porn thing is making it so so much worse. Um, because there's that same motivation of of not liking that that power imbalance relationship. You know, you just perceived power imbalance. Aaron and I were just talking a little bit earlier today about this. Is um, he was saying that a lot of like lesbians will be drawn to the idea, or or women will um kind of be drawn to the idea of being a lesbian in order to achieve that egalitarian um, relationship. So they may be more attracted to men, but they don't like the the power imbalance uh, inherent in, in a heterosexual relationship. So they identify as women to solve that problem for themselves. And then, and as we've seen, a lot of those women then go on to uh, transition into trans men. And then now that they're a man, socially, sexually, they go on to be a gay trans man so they can, you know, actually sleep with, with the people they're attracted to, which are men. And they feel like it's now, it's now equal. So I think that's what was happening long ago. Uh, still a bit today, but mostly. Uh, what was the term? It was a uh, tranny maxing. I found that quite funny. So some gay men transition into women so that they appeal to straight men or something yeah. that's why oh yeah 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 yeah. i mean yeah. it makes more sense that makes more sense to me the that the whole male hsts thing it seems like a pragmatic solution we can talk about the ethics of it or the the good whether or not it's a good decision but it's just it's such a directly pragmatic decision to me you know it's like because their their sexuality does not change right whereas female sexuality very often uh does and so um and then again when you've got the young uh, these 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 girls who grew up not just in the Tumblr fandom space and absorbing the gender ideology content, but at the same time, you've got this hardcore violent porn that overly dramatizes, dramatizes, uh, exaggerates, whatever, um, that inherent power imbalance of the heterosexual dynamic. It just puts it on steroids. And so these oh, these girls will and see this and go, oh, well, I don't identify with the you know this 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 sexual dynamic doesn't appeal to me therefore i'm i'm a man like it's just like they're literally it, that simplistic it, yeah it's that simplistic and that's what shocks me about these doctors and therapists looking back at my notes when i transitioned yes i was 21 22 but i was still very immature i think 
well, we know your brain doesn't fully develop until you're about 24, 25, which funny enough is when I woke up and went, I don't think I'm trans, actually. I don't think anyone should transition under the age of 25. Simple as that. But yeah, I just don't think any child ever should be allowed to do that. And I include myself in that, that I was not 25. My brain was not fully developed. Therefore, I cannot understand the long-term. But the notes say I understand the long-term. Con- well, we've talked to her or him, and he says he fully understands. No, I don't even remember this conversation. <laughs> I did. I, mis- I think I misunderstood what they were saying anyway. If I had some sort of neurological thing wrong with me, I had the symptoms of autism, which I don't anymore, by the way. Long story there. Either my mother had just sort of gaslit me into that or they were just symptoms of my autoimmune digestive issues because now I'm a carnival. And after being a carnival for about a year or two, I could look people in the eye. I didn't go on long tangents that weren't relevant to anything or I wasn't basically just talking to talking out of walls. Basically. Um, yeah, uh, no sensory issues. I didn't need to wear headphones on the bus. I could... Ha- do handshakes it was all fun um so should be a little column a but yeah um, i do wonder how much how much uh, uh the uh the the current especially american diet has to do with the incidence of of autism because we seem to have so much more of it than any other uh uh country and uh what's that about? Oh, yeah. Yes. So there's a really great book called Brain Energy. Uh, I go on about it a lot on my channel, but Brain Energy by uh, Dr. Chris Palmer. He's a neurologist, 30 years experience. And he was really determined to uncover the underlying principle of all the illnesses, why we have so many chronic illnesses, mental illnesses, cancer, all these. Why do we have so much of this in the Western world? in the United States. And what he decided or realized was it's met met metabolism. Our modern world, our diet, our, uh, you know, the the light we expose ourselves to with screens, lack of touch and contact time in nature, temperature, you know, we live in temperature controlled environments. We wear shoes, we sleep in soft, comfy beds. And he doesn't talk about those last two things, but I'm realizing those are a factor too, that we are making ourselves sick through convenience. Mm. And so more cancer, more ADHD, more autism, more gender dysphoria. It's because we're, we've basically, we're, we're wild, we're apes. We've put ourselves in a cage, a concrete cage that we've built ourselves with not enough light, not enough social contact. Now we're going insane. So, yeah, Chris Palmer goes into way more depth about it than I do, but that's... The, the, the cliff notes there what do you that remember like, about the like the the assessment process when you decided you wanted to transition what did that process look like when you reached out to a clinician oh my god yes yeah. so it was such a joke so i went to well the gp that i've been going to since before i was born the family gp and he's like no i don't think you're trans and we'll see he was right, but I think the way he went about it was wrong. It was just dismissive. No, it's just a fake. Just wait. You'll get over it. No, if someone is going through a delusion or this fixations, anxiety, whatever it is, that's not really going to help. He really needed to intervene more and, and speak up. So what he could have done was just say, 
look, I've known you since you were a fetus. I watched you grow up. I got all the notes on all your behavior up until now. And let's, you know, that, that takes more time and effort, I suppose. But he, he, he knew me very well. Even if he, did, he didn't have to read those notes, he knows me. Um, so, yeah, he should have just talked about that and just gone, well, based on past behavior, this is what I think it is, or let's watch and wait, not dismiss. You know, I was his patient, and I think he should have taken ownership of that. And gone, okay, a little concerned here, so I'm going to just, let's go, I'm going to, I didn't know about this in Australia. Uh, there's a thing called a mental health care plan, and I'd never heard of that until after I detransitioned. It's ridiculous. Well, no, just before I detransitioned. The mental health care plan is where you are entitled to about 10 free sessions through Medicare of therapy. Why did no one tell me that? Because I was having to pay for these things myself. So that hurt me. My my GP hurt me. Instead of just saying, okay, look, when you go see a therapist, I'll write your mental health care plan. You can just talk to them, see what happens. No, nah, he just dumped me. No, nah, no, nah, I don't think he trans. Anyway, moving on, your blood test. Let's talk about that. And it was never brought up again. So then I talked to a friend of mine who says, oh, you know, my GP's a little bit more LGBTQIA positive. I don't know how many letters we had in the, the alphabet at the time. Then. <laughs> um, but yeah, she takes me to her GP. The GP says, oh, well, uh, I'm very happy to help out. I've never done this before. So I'll get back to you. I'll do some, some research and I'll... I'll what we need to do as the next steps next appointment she says okay do you want to see a psychologist and a psychiatrist so you have a, a, a you need a letter of referral from both then you'll be sent to an endocrinologist so we'll put you on the wait list to the endocrinologist now and go see the psychologist and psychiatrist again never mentioned this is a different gp she also does not mention mental health care plan you don't have a job. You are dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, yeah, did not mention. I'm very complicated. I got Obama forest virus, like Ross River. That's a more famous one. A mosquito-borne virus that causes fatigue. And so I already had immune issues, had terrible periods, had IBS from this gut microbiome situation issue. And then I get on the forest virus and I just do not get better. I just have permanent fatigue. We don't know what's happening. Well, I don't even remember being bitten by a mosquito or I didn't think much of it. And then they do the blood tests and discover I, I did have this virus. And then it was somewhere after that point, around 21 years old, I'm just totally introverted i don't i can't go out i can't do anything i don't have a job i've had to stop studying uh, my costume design course i dropped out in second year you know it was devastating it was it was you know i felt totally useless i felt suicidal and then i have this a uh, great epiphany after spending all day every day on tumblr oh yeah i'm trans that's why i feel this way no you fucking moron sorry i'm sorry um you moron it's because you, you spend all day in bed, not going anywhere, not talking to anyone, no sun exposure, terrible diet. Uh, and any doctor should have been able to just say that. Took one look at me. My GP, who helped me get the diagnosis of Bama Forest Virus, he should have been able to say, okay, 
Well, you've had chronic fatigue syndrome for nearly two years now. You don't go anywhere and do anything. Do you think maybe, Courtney, it has something to do with that? Uh, but no, no, he just didn't want to just put his hands up. I don't want to deal with it. And uh, outfit swap. I am. Oh, yeah, costume change. I was overheating. <laughs> <laughs> and then my hair looked too, too ridiculous without the beanie. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah. carry on. <laughs> um, yeah. So second GP, again, Dylan mentioned you need, you can get a mental health care plan to help you pay for this stuff, you know. Um, now, so I'm paying to see the psychologist and the psychiatrist by myself. The psych, I get confused, the psychologist. Yeah. And she was really nice. And she said, eh, okay, you're a complicated case. Why am I always a complicated case, A.A. Ron? Um, I, uh, after my car accident, um, the head injury, so I had a, uh, so the nerve here was damaged. I don't need my eye patch. So this week, no eye patch. Great. But this entire side of my face paralyzed, uh, two skull fractures, whiplash, uh, and then I nearly lost my leg, but they just put pins in it. I didn't reject the pins amazingly with my immune system. And uh, yeah, leg healed up fine, but yeah, had a broken leg and a huge laceration behind my knee. And during the recovery, they always said, Oh, you're a complicated case, it's such a complicated case. Yeah, I know, I know, everyone tells you that all the time. Uh, about everything. Apparently, I can't even get injured, right? I can't get hit by a car <laughs> like a normal person. But yeah, so when it came to my psychological evaluation, the psychologist said, yeah, okay, there's a lot more to uncover here. I want to take our time, figure it out. No, I'm impatient. Oh, she's being transphobic, gatekeeping. I need to get my drugs in me right now. Um, the psychiatrist, he was terrible. He clearly did not give a shit. I guess he sees a lot of trans patients and he just goes, oh, I'll just write the letter for, oh, yeah, whatever. Just don't sue me. I don't want to lose my license. And that's the horrible thing is there are a lot of individuals like me who are innocent, who are just, they need someone to push back. I think we're failing this generation of kids. They want adults to be adults. To say, no, you know, kid, I've been on this planet many more decades than you. I know you, you're experiencing a lot of big emotions. You don't know what to do, how to deal with them right now. I know you want an easy solution and you want it right now, but you're going to change. You're going to change a lot. Every year of your life until maybe 25 years old, maybe beyond, you're going to be a different person every year or so. You're going to discover new things about yourself. You don't know it all right now. So I just want you to slow down, think it out. Let's talk it out. But we're not doing that. It's all affirmation. Of, oh, well, you think you're trans? Oh, well, I, I guess you must be and you identify as a wolf or you identify as a robot or what yes go ahead you know yourself better than anyone no no they don't i did not know myself at all um and that's what my channel is all about every video is a different subject uh and the next one if i finish altering the costume i want to wear for it i would make more videos if i didn't insist on making bloody costumes for it but um my I next one I was telling Aaron before we got into this that they, uh, your your YouTube channel he gave gave me David Bowie David Bow the David Bow am I having a stroke David Bowie vibes <laughs> just because yeah it's like it's like a different a different character each each video 
Exactly. Yeah, I I love Bowie, and Bowie is an influence. I mean, he's an influence on everyone. Let's be honest. But someone who was so bold and willing to jump into and immerse himself in these other identities, and I think to most artists or creative or deviant social deviants, um, that's very appealing because. I don't know, I guess most ordinary, who's ordinary, but most ordinary people, you know, they just, they are in, they're set in reality. They they go to work, they come home, they eat dinner, they watch TV, they go out for drinks. It's all tangible, physical, immediate stuff. But I think what our ancestors would have called the shaman brain, there's a lot of research onto this shaman brain uh, which is is fascinating to me it's people who are just very intuitive they are they are sensitive they're dreamers and there's something magical about that I, I i love people like that and you know i can form deep connections with these people because they're working on this other plane of reality is it shamanism is it magic is it witchcraft no but you know, it, it could be they're an artist, they're autistic, they are, they have hyperphantasia, they have all these other things that just give them this beautiful perspective on, on the world. You know, uh, someone like Bowie or another influence of mine is David Lynch. The way he sees the world, that is so inspiring to me. And so that is, that, that is what I am categorizing as the shaman brain, just for reference. And so I think a lot of people who are transitioning now are these lost shaman souls, shaman brain. They're thinking deeply. They're so sensitive. They, they, they're, they're beautiful and amazing. But they're sort of being led down this path that is, for many of them, if not most of them, destructive. Because that's not what they are. They're not trans. But they're, they're on this soul journey. They're trying to find out who they truly are and where they belong and how they want to be received in the world. It's a very deep personal journey. And you know, for me, I feel like I'm sort of coming to a plateau, but does that mean that's the end? Is there another, is there somewhere else I go after this? Well, we shall see. Um, we're also the kind who will watch something and then it will become our entire personality. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm guilty of that. Um, so my next video, I will be dressed as a Starian from Baldur's Gate because I've been playing Baldur's Gate now. So that is my life. Um, but otherwise, yeah, uh, Metal Gear Solid was my whole thing. No, it is still my whole thing. will be my whole thing. For yeah, this shaman brain, these outsiders, we connect with fiction as guidance to understand how we feel. And what I'm realizing is, Okay, so after my accident, I played Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, and I it became my whole world. And then I would dream about it, and it would just be this really intense connection. And I was aware that, okay, well, before, when I was autistic, when I was transgender, I had this unhealthy obsession with Alien. And I would talk about those movies obsessively to the point that I didn't want to talk about it. I just didn't know how to connect yeah it, it was driving me nuts i was doing a podcast <laughs> prometheus by a minute prometheus by a minute where i reviewed the uh movie prometheus one minute at a time so one minute of the movie and then i talk about it for at least 10 minutes first 
um, and it became this obsession. And I realize now what it is, is I will, I can't connect. I just don't get that kind of emotional, psychological support from my community, certainly not from my family. And so a lot of people like me are, are lonely and need understanding, need connection. And they're not getting it from their community, sadly. So they reach out to, they grab onto whatever they can. And so I think my entire childhood, that was me, whether it was Super Hulock or it was uh, Alien, and now with Metal Gear, it's just I'm trying to fill this void in my heart. And so having detransitioned, being more self-aware, and and playing Metal Gear um, MGSV, realizing, well, fuck, I wake up in the game. You wake up in a hospital. You lose a limb, although I nearly lost a limb. Your eye doesn't work. Oh, I mean, the character's lost an eye. Um, you're dealing with PTSD. You have amnesia. You have uh, the, the character is going through everything I've gone through, and so I form this very intense connection with uh, Venom, Snake, and Cut Hero Miller. If we need to get specific, and I realized it's because I needed someone to give me guidance and understanding. And it's almost like a shaman who would go on a uh, spirit quest. And you, in their dreams, they would find these figures, these guardians, these guides, who would bring them to greater understanding. And so, yes, it's a huge tangent, but I'm essentially what I'm saying is a lot of these kids or young adults are the same. They have this shaman brain. They're trying anything to understand their identity. They, they, a lot of these kids connect with fiction. And for girls, you, they will play these games and like, okay, Metal Gear, sometimes very good depictions of women, but in MGSV, hateful, hateful depictions of women. Oh, the only female character does not talk and doesn't wear clothes. Really, really great. I can identify with her, yeah. Um, yeah, so these are hateful depictions of women. And so if you are this lonely girl with a shaman brain, what are you going to do? You're going to start thinking, well, I identify with the male characters. Maybe I should be male. That was a long tangent, but hopefully I got to the point. So tell us about the, the actual transition process for you and, and what that was like. Once once you got that letter, what was the next step? Yeah, so the psychiatrist, uh, oh yeah, right. And he said, there's a high rate you'll detransition because you're autistic. <laughs> okay, then it should stop there. Wow. <laughs> if he, he wrote in the letter to the endocrinologist, there's a high chance she'll detransition. Uh, so then don't write a letter of referral saying that she should transition. Are you stupid? What? That's wild. Uh, you still have yeah. that letter? I have all the records. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Uh, so this is my, my endocrinologist wrote. So um, I was referred to the endocrinologist. Um, and though I didn't have the letter from a psychologist, so I only had one letter. I went, I'm going to make the appointment with the endocrinologist. And I wasn't even that intent on transitioning. I want, I want to make that clear that at the time I was just sort of confused and I felt, you know, I have these feelings and, you know, I trust doctors, I trust authority. And, you know, maybe she can tell me, if this is the right decision for me, is this what I'm really feeling? Am I really trans? I, I feel that I am, but is that is that true? 
So I see her and she does a hard sell on testosterone. Oh, come right this way, young man. You can have all the changes you want. You'll grow bigger and stronger and taller and you'll have facial hair and it'll be amazing. You'll be muscular. No downsides, really. I mean, there'll be some uh, genital growth and oh, you have some acne. No, actually, you'll, you'll go insane. You'll have even worse autoimmune issues. You'll never be able to eat fruits and vegetables again. Uh, yeah. So, oh, you have chronic fatigue syndrome, 10 times worse than you ever had it before. Then you will also develop some kind of, uh, oh, uh, psychogenic, non-epileptic seizures. Penis for short, by the way, P-N-E-S. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, I did get some kind of penis. It just wasn't the one I was expecting. <laughs> so P-N-E-S is... We have these spasms and convulsions, fainting, paralysis, um, which is where your brain is experiencing so much stress, trauma, pain, whatever it is, that it manifests as PNES. The, the, well, some people with epilepsy can also have a PNES. <laughs> um, and so it's very difficult to identify which is which, but basically you're relying on people to you know, family members to film your seizures or convulsions. Maybe you get under an MRI and they, or a CT scan, they can see what's happening. But yeah, um, it's not technically psychological, but yes, I had all these neuropsychological conditions that manifest only after taking testosterone. Then they went to remission. Then I had a brain trauma and the PNES came back again. So I'm really, oh, shit. That's what this was. And most doctors don't know about PNES or neuropsychological conditions. They don't know about autoimmune issues that can arise from hormones. They're just stumbling in the dark. They're prescribing these things without fully understanding. Yeah, you know, how could I have given informed consent if you don't even know what the stuff does? Yeah. So it was so, the andro- it was the endocrinologist that that you when you said they just kind of did a did a hard sell of uh, of testosterone. So that was the endocrinologist. Yes, and she wrote okay. here in my note, in June 2015, Colson was assessed by Dr. Gordon Wang, psychiatry. I, should, I don't know if I should, I should be saying names, but anyway. Um, as, but no, I will, I will name and shame. Screw this guy. Um, as psychiatry as being suitable for hormonal treatment for gender transition. He made the important point there is a higher chance of changing one's mind about gender transition with a coexisting diagnosis of autism and gender dysphoria. Colson understands it. What? The transition for you it sounds like exasperated a lot of physical health symptoms. And so how long how long had it been before you decided to discontinue the testosterone? Yeah. By the way, I think this is also what, what uh, my endocrinologist also wrote. Um, so, cause I've been trying, I, I was trying to get involved with a class action lawsuit that never went through long story there. There's always a long story with me anyway. Um, but yeah, no, looking through all the notes, they were trying to determine other than photos of my enormous weight gain on testosterone. There was nothing in the medical notes. So I wasn't seeing a GP. I was just seeing my endocrinologist exclusively. And, uh, so she wrote, 
just uh, you know, voice deepening, facial hair shaving, yeah, yeah. Weight gain of more than ten kilos of muscle mass. Muscle mass. That you think that was all muscle mass? I can show you the photos. That was not muscle mass. But she always frames it that way. Oh, you know, the growth is good. The, the changes are great. It always. Oh, holy shit. But yeah, so 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 how long were you on testosterone before you're like, okay, this is a net negative? Yeah, so it was five years. And it's shocking to me just going back at, at looking at my writing and recordings of any description social media posts or just yeah, any any archaeological evidence of my thinking and behaviors at the time. You just it's this blind spot. It is almost like being in a cult where you are being actively harmed. And I, I do listen to a lot of interviews with ex-cult members and I go, that is so relatable that you just when 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 you're socially conditioned to believe something is normal, you do. So that's what we're dealing with here. That and I don't even think this is just children. I think anyone who has transitioned, especially for the wrong reasons, who isn't of sound mind or isn't old enough to make these mature decisions, they're just going to switch off to all the red flags. You just, I'm so laser focused and I want to be a man. If I stop taking testosterone, I'll stop being a man. And that's really, you are conditioned to think that way. I was, I was thinking, you know, I had severe bloating uh, and had all the tests and there was nothing structurally wrong. I was gaining all this weight. I had chronic fatigue syndrome again. So it went into remission when I transitioned or just before I transitioned, the fatigue was getting a little better. I got on testosterone and a steroid. So it was like, I was supercharged. I felt amazing. I was bodybuilding. I was cycling. I was doing everything. I was just energized the bunny. Then I got a cold, just a little minor cold that never seemed to go away. Oh, my nose stopped running, but I just never seemed to get better. I, you know, the aches and pains, the fatigue. Ah, shit. I got chronic fatigue syndrome again. So I tried different herbal supplements. I tried this, that, and the other. Nothing does anything. Not a single doctor after the bloating, after the fatigue. Hey, maybe it's your medication. We should stop you taking that for a little while. In any other situation, oh, well, we put you on antidepressants, we put you on different kinds of diabetic medication. Hmm, you don't seem to be doing very well. Maybe we'll switch your medication or take you off it for a little while and see what happens. Not with hormones. Never once, I've gone right through those medical records, never once does any doctor, GP, colonoscopy, uh, what are they called? <laughs> colonoscopy? Yeah. Gastroenterology. Um, not a single one went, or she's not on any other medication but testosterone. She suddenly has all these issues after taking testosterone. I don't know, man. Maybe stop taking it. Did you get any surgeries as well, or did you stop at testosterone? Thank God I did not. So I didn't have a job, so I couldn't really afford it, but there were uh, certain trans organizations that could help to fund it, and you know, maybe I could get a loan. I didn't know. I was on the disability pension at that point. But yeah, so I went to go see a plastic surgeon. And I don't know if they're all like this, but yeah, he was just a real ghoul. He just, oh, yeah, if you, you want me to cut this off, slice and dice, and yeah, cool, whatever, let's go, man. 
Uh, and I was saying, okay, conscious for the surgery. Oh, yeah, man, we could do that. I don't know. <laughs> like a tattoo, apparently. Um, <laughs> Christ. But, yeah, uh, COVID happened. And I say, actually, that was a good thing to make me reconsider because I went, I don't know what this – I've never lived through a pandemic before. I don't know how bad this is going to get, but I really do not want to be in a hospital during a pandemic. So I'm just going to stop. We'll put the top surgery thing to the side, uh, which I'm glad I did. I like my tits. I like them where they are. Quite good. Very happy. <laughs> and I never wanted bottom surgery, really, because I, I mean, I, even then I was looking at what phalloplasty looked like. Went, That's a joke. That, is, that doesn't work. That is not feasible. Um, and, you know, are they sexual? So not like I really, uh, no one was going to see it. Um, but yeah, being in lockdown, being more isolated, not socially interacting with anyone, and just having a lot of time to think, not in relation to anyone else, just my body by myself. Um, and I stopped taking the testosterone because it was just making me so ill. And, you know, I would get these, these rashes, these fevers, every time I took the test, even the tiny, tiny dose of gel, I wasn't doing injections. And my endocrinologist goes, eh, weird, I don't know. Uh, and I actually contacted, he's pretty well known, Will, Will, William Powers, Will Powers is his GP in the United States, who I still have emails from him. Um, and he was very knowledgeable. He said, oh, you want alternative androgens. So your body's not metabolizing testosterone well, either at all or anymore. So here's a list of alternative ones that will metabolize in a way that's going to be a little easier to do. Oh, okay. I talked to my chief, my, chief, my endocrinologist, and she went, oh, no, we don't have those. We don't have those. No, not possible. I mean, I've looked them up, and this Dr. Powers just looked them up, and they prescribed them in Australia. No, can't do it. Me. Okay, that's a bit weird. Uh, and in hindsight, I'm thinking maybe it's because she doesn't get any sort of um, financial incentive from those brands. Um, so I said, okay, well, the new sex health clinic just opened up. Could you refer me to them? Because it really felt like she was done with me anyway. I don't know why. It was just maybe I was too difficult. I was asking too many questions. Because in the early days, oh, yes, go ahead. Do whatever you want. Give me whatever you want. I'll take it. But as the years progressed, my health got worse and worse. I'm thinking maybe she did know. I think even though her notes say, oh, everything's wonderful and positive, and oh, well, She's had this huge fight with the family. Now she's homeless. Or he. Now he's homeless. Uh, now, uh, you know, all these new health issues. Now his life is turning to shit. Uh, she never really comments on that. Just, oh, interesting. Nothing to do with the fact that she's transitioned. No, no, no connection there whatsoever. Um, but I think maybe in the back of her mind, she could see she was doing harm. So she just kind of wanted to push the problem onto someone else. And by the time I was put on that wait list, by the time I saw that tech health clinic, well, they called me and said, oh, yeah, we just want to do the pre-screening, the nurse, uh, you know, the uh, induction or I can't remember what they called it, new patient thing. Um, and I said, well, because I've had to stop taking testosterone for so long, six months at the point, you know, I feel a little different. I think I actually want to detransition. So how do I do that? How do I safely do that? What, what's the protocol? What, what, what screenings and tests should I get? 
the nurse on the phone I could hear could not get off the phone fast enough with me. It was sort of a, oh, oh, we wouldn't know anything about that. I, I don't know. You talk to your GP. We, we don't do anything like that. Really? You're a sexual health clinic. You help transition people, but you don't know how to detransition people. Oh, this never happens. Well, I mean, it's happening right now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I go to my GP. Uh, who was my GP? No, actually, thankfully, so I had started going to this women's health clinic. They're really good. I really love my doctors there. And so uh, she did all the screening, ultrasounds, blood tests, all of that. We really monitored my, my periods. We'll get into those in a minute. But, you know, that is a kind of, of care, aftercare, I guess, that we just do not have. And that's shocking to me. They seem to, like you're saying, they wouldn't acknowledge that it could, you know, all the, all the health problems post-testosterone could have something to do with the testosterone. I wonder if that is because there seems to be this kind of understanding um, amongst the people who prescribe these hormones that they are a cosmetic intervention. Um, they seem to think of them only in terms of what they provide cosmetically, and then they disregard all of the much more um, kind of fundamental endocrine resulting issues uh, that arise from them. But it just seems to have this very like cosmetic superficial view of what the drugs are being prescribed for. And so when something completely unrelated or in their mind unrelated is happening, they're going, oh, it can't be to do with that because that's just giving you a deep voice and facial hair. You know, like, I think that's kind of the mindset. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've really, I've become aware of that. Actually, funny enough, because of um, the car accident as well, that I'm realizing we have, modern medicine has a fundamental issue. And that is that we have divided everything up into specialties. Mm. It really slows down and, and actually actively interferes with patients getting adequate treatment. You know, we need a more holistic approach in terms of, okay, so I was hit by a car and well, I have to go to some one person for my head injury, different person for my facial nerve damage, which is related to my brain, but no, 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 nerve damage, we'll do that, different department. Okay. And then I have uh, hearing damage. Oh, but we have two different departments. There's audiology, but then there's the ENT, ear, nose, and throat. So audiology will actually do the hearing test. They can do hearing implants. They can do all that. But actually doing ear, nose, and throat stuff, so the actual structural stuff, oh, no, no, different department. Are you telling me I've got to take freaking six months in the public health care system or in the private system to see all? Oh, and there's the orthopedic surgeon for my leg. Then there's the physiotherapist for my leg. I've seen a freaking nine different doctors now when it could have only taken one uh, general physician, perhaps, to look at all of it as one and going, okay, head trauma, okay, so now your brain is really sensitized to pain, easy. And I'm actually, I'm seeing um, a pain, uh, it's, it's a pain center, there a pain, there's a pain coach, there's a pain psychologist. I'm, fingers crossed, I mean, they seem pretty promising so far that they actually look at it holistically as, okay, Look at all the structural issues. Those are cured. You've healed. Why do you still have a problem? It's neuropsychological. Oh, great, good. We're getting we're getting somewhere. I'm not being thrown from department to department, and they're all saying, "Oh, you're fine." And the same thing happened with 
transitioning where so it goes to an endocrinologist but hang on I, I, uh, so it goes to an endocrinologist for trans men but I think you can get estrogen as a trans woman just from a GP so that, but hang on so one has to be specialized but the other one isn't go figure but then also you're considering this is only cosmetic you're an endocrinologist and you know I mean, you deal with polycystic ovarian syndrome every freaking day. You know excessive levels of testosterone wreak havoc in a woman's body. You know that. And now you are essentially artificially inducing PCOS in a healthy woman. And you don't think it does anything other than a bit of facial hair and muscle mass or hair loss. Uh, no, I mean... We have XY or XS chromosomes, and it's like trying to shove a square peg in a round hole when you're using the wrong hormone. By the way, just side note, yes, men and women have estrogen and testosterone, but in those quantities, you can't shove that much testosterone into that little round hole of XX. Um, it's just, it's, it's baffling to me, honestly, that these doctors who study the endocrinological system for years, most of their life and now treating this is just oh it's cosmetic it's gonna make a little a few physical get changes that, like it's like getting a tan or a tattoo yeah yeah the the, the the um yeah all the all the special everything goes out the window when it comes to anything trans it's that trans exceptionalism it's like suddenly we're uh we're alien creatures whose bodies and psychologies are just completely completely different than uh cis peoples <laughs> you know it's just like all the rules no longer apply and that's the shocking thing. That's what I'm really angry about. And, you know, this whole idea of gatekeeping, transphobia, all of that. Uh, well, I believe all the people screaming at the loudest are just the ones who are the most mentally unstable. I'm going to be honest. They're, they're the people who have probably other psychological conditions. They're mm -hmm. not mature enough. So this screeching, but of course, the loud, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Um, whereas I think, uh, you know, the I've cluster bees of, ruin our healthcare. Mm, absolutely they, why are they in the driver's seat whereas you know i've talked to transgender people the transmedic list but i mean you have you know the the famous ones on youtube the blair whites and um and buck angel and uh uh mars 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 yeah yeah okay See, yeah i mean he, he told people that testosterone is just not agreeing with him anymore and you know i, mean, I look at him and go well you pass as a man you seem happy as a man but we are not providing adequate transgender health care. We're harming transgender. The trans movement is harming transgender mm -hmm. people. I think it's harming everyone. Mm -hmm. It's harming non-trans people who are getting swept up in this. But you are not even evaluating trans people correctly. You, you, It's an experiment. I, I honestly feel that I was experimented on. In a, and it's not even in a cool Weapon X Wolverine kind of way. Um, I don't get any cool. Well, I mean, the deep voice is kind of cool, but otherwise, yeah, no. Um, I was experimented on. They just wanted to see what would happen. They don't know what happens in the long term, except they kind of do. I've been doing some digging, as I want to do. We have plenty of research on women bodybuilders who have abused testosterone, female athletes. I think it was, it was these Russian. Female athletes who were given testosterone. There's a whole documentary about it. 
and their long-term effects, how it affects the children they give birth to decades later after taking testosterone, how it affected their immune system, their sex drive, everything, every aspect of their lives. Um, and these women didn't even understand what was being done to them. They were being given these drugs and not explained. It was like a, sub was. a supplement, essentially, as, as it was described to mm -hmm. them, right? Exactly. And so we do have longitudinal studies. That goes back to, God, uh, 60s, 70s. Um, so that's long enough to go, well, we know it affects birth defects. It's going to be long term. You, you don't just stop taking this and get over it because in nature, how would that ever happen? Only if there was something considerably wrong uh, metabolically. PCOS is also another metabolic condition. So what I'm living with now, I'm, I'm really lucky. So I have to, I mean, I have to live a very strict lifestyle of, I mean, from morning to night, I, I have to follow these very uh, ancestral living is the quickest way to explain it. I have to live basically as our ancestors did to protect this very fragile metabolic and, and immune system that I have now and a system. So, you know, I, I've taken to sleeping on the floor. That helps with my phantom pain. Um, I basically, I wake up at before sunrise now. Uh, I blue blocking glasses. I have to, you know, be very cautious about the, the light I expose myself to. Any deviation from this freaking routine, and I notice it. And so when it comes to, uh, I know this diet, I have to be a carnivore and all those things. Thankfully, I can still drink spirits. With that. <laughs> Um, it's getting to how I deal with my menstrual cycle. It seems to be getting better primarily because I've been, thankfully, it's just herbal solution, natural solution. A lot of doctors wanted to push birth control on me and go, no, I am not messing with artificial hormones again. I have learned my lesson. Um, but even though I thought okay, well, we could do a microdose near my period, so just for a week. I'll take a tiny dose of some birth control. It did nothing. And I felt worse. And I felt more depressed. And said, nah, okay, no, no, no. We're not doing prescription drugs ever again. So I've been doing a, a, a phytoestrogen soy cream. And I put that on my abdomen twice a day in the days or maybe a week leading up to the period and during the period. So what's happening is, and I haven't even mentioned this yet, and also none of the documentaries I've been on want to mention this. False pregnancies. No one, I mean, people really don't understand false pregnancies in general. But when I detransitioned, I, I looked around the detrans community and I was asking, hey, does anyone experience this? No one has, or if they do, they just haven't felt comfortable discussing it or didn't recognize what it was. But as I was detransitioning, you know, going cold turkey, just no testosterone, no birth control, nothing. Um, I think in hindsight, maybe you have to just slowly wean yourself off. You can't just go cold turkey. But yes, um, what was happening is, and I didn't know this, it took about a year, and my GP finally decided, I think what's happening is, you so your uh, uh, estrogen and your uh, progesterone, you know, they're, they're in a sort of synchronous rhythm throughout the month. Then you get to your period and then one goes down, one goes up. There's supposed to be a ratio there. I can't remember specifically how. You know, there's supposed to be a, an exchange there. One is higher than the other. What's happening is yours just stay constant. 
or they're going up, or we don't really know specifically, but they, they're staying fairly consistent. There's no dip from blood test. There's no dip. And what's happening is my brain is going to think, oh, oh, we must be pregnant now. We've been we've been fertilized. We must uh, get ourselves ready um, because you are not supposed to have consistent hormones throughout the month. If your progesterone stays the same, oh, it's a pregnancy hormone. Um, so initially they wanted to give me progesterone, and I did try that for a one week not nah, hate it so then i realized okay the soy cream apparently a lot of um, postmenopausal women swear by this this is some, some decent studies don't get me into the whole uh, soy is a whole argument with with the vegans but yeah no it's it is a an endocrine disruptor it is a very effective uh, natural uh what do they call it? It's a, it, it, it replicates. Oh my God. It's a bioidentical or it's something that looks identical to this molecule. So the molecule for soy estrogen and the molecule for human estrogen, same. So they just come up to the same slot. Um, we're not, okay, tangent, but also I find it very interesting that glucose and vitamin C are the same shape. So they go, they overlap. You eat less glucose, you don't need so much vitamin C. Interesting. But uh, yeah, so phytoestrogen works the same, thank God, as estrogen. So I take that during the week of my period. I feel great. My periods went from freaking 40, 20, 30 days random. Then it was 40 days predictably, then 35 days. Last month it was 28. Maybe this month will be 28 again. So I think now I'm slowly getting back into a normal rhythm. But those false pregnancies, they were hell psychologically physically just feel disgusting you're all swollen and bloated um, i already had all these bloating issues from testosterone anyway so at first when i was getting that detransition it's like oh it must be just a hormone thing i'm just i'm horribly bloated doesn't matter what i eat it'll pass no it stayed it kept getting bigger then my breasts swelled up then milk arrived then, um, oh, and then also, I didn't even mention on testosterone, I had priapism, which is where the vaginal tissue is erect painfully for a long amount of time. You've got to sit on ice. Oh, yeah, no, the priapism came back. I've never heard of this. Um, hmm? I've never heard of this. Exactly. All, all these conditions, which will happen because of endocrine disruption, apparently. Oh, and you being a complicated the, uh, case as well. I know. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I had to freaking sit on ice, not even masturbate, you know, that, well, before, I mean, nowadays I'm more comfortable with my body, I'm not freaking weird about it, but yeah, no, back then I couldn't even you know, just sort of massage that area and, and calm it down, no, it was so painful, and psychologically I, I hated touching myself, and I noticed a lot of trans men are like, not trans women so much, but trans men are what we would have called back in the day stone butch lesbians. These, these butch lesbians don't touch their tits, don't touch their chest, don't touch them. They want to be on top. They will have sex with you. They'll, they'll peg you. They'll do all that. But they don't want touch. They have, a, they have these huge issues with intimacy. And so what I'm realizing now is what we're seeing with a lot of these trans men, they're just stone lesbians. They just, they don't have another word for it. And you deny people language, you see what happens. But yeah, so for me, I was a little bit like that where I just had all these issues with touch and my own body and I didn't like, yeah. So that was something to overcome. But then when I'm flooded with all these female hormones 
interestingly though, in um, there's actually a second book I want to make because I used to do. Well, I still do. This outfit. Of, I swear to God, I'm getting to a point. <laughs> um, outfit of the day photos, uh, and I think I started it. No, I started it when I was twenty. Not consistently, but yeah, I was taking photos of when I was a girl and when I was Connor, when I was a man, and my outfits of the day. And then when I detransitioned up until now. And so when I detransitioned, well, partly I brought my mo- I brought my mother back into my life. I don't know why. I thought maybe things would have changed. She was very forcefully pushing me back into that very feminine box again. But also I had all these female hormones flooding through my system, so I felt very feminine. And I also went through a, a somewhat heterosexual phase. It was weird. It was like a it was the order heterosexual thing going on. There was this mechanophilia thing. There was a lesbian thing. I was just I was all over the place. So that first year, it was just a freaking roller coaster. Um, and I do want to make a video on how sexuality can change, especially under certain circumstances. But yeah, I, I, that's why to this day I don't label myself with a sexual orientation because I have no freaking clue, buddy. I'm figuring <laughs> it out for myself. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm keeping myself open and just seeing what happens. Um, but yeah, for that first year, I'm glad I didn't date anyone or I didn't find anyone who wanted to date me because yeah, I didn't know what I wanted because what I wanted changed every day because my hormones were just in total fluctuation. And then during uh those false pregnancies and i think i would get on average one a year sometimes twice they could last a few weeks to a month and you you stopped testosterone about four years ago is that right this is yeah this is my fourth year detransition yeah okay so year three yeah no year four would have been last november or october november last year fourth year yeah wow time flies uh i'm scared i want to get off the throne um but yeah, so in those four years, I have changed so much. I think I stagnated for those five years on testosterone. Personality wasn't changing much. I wasn't really learning anything. I wasn't changing. I just I had chronic fatigue. I stayed home. I made podcasts and slept and enjoyed being a man. Hmm. Um, then, yeah, it's more detransitioning, which is that first year. And it's I feel sorry for detransition so i mean some of them have an easier time than i did but some of them probably have a far worse time especially if that surgery that you you might be a lifelong patient having to take the sex hormones of your own sex you know having to come back from surgery i don't know how you do i i honestly do count myself lucky even though i've gone through all the shit i'm one of the lucky ones. i'm one of the ones who actually got out fairly unscathed it kind of sounds um, like, I mean, I like you, you were having like hell from the experience and a little while after, but now it's like you haven't lost any body parts you didn't want to lose. You um, you like the fact that you have a lower voice and that's about, mm. about the extent of the changes, right? And so it's kind of like, on the other side, not much harm done, yeah. but it was just like the, the actual yeah. experience of it all was probably quite hellish, it sounds like. Yeah, because I think there were benefits to taking testosterone. For me... I am happy with the deeper voice, with a different hairline, more muscle mass, even the genital growth is not so bad. Has some advantages. Also, I didn't have a sex drive before taking testosterone. While I was taking testosterone, I mean, I had the physical symptoms of arousal, but I didn't have the psychological attraction yet. 
that could be attracted to do with the autoantrophilia where I was just so fixated on the self, so fixated on what I wanted to, I was just, I had this idea of the, the man I wanted to be, I was so fixated on that. Yeah, the the advantages that I have now that I like being somewhat masculinized and I mean, we'll never know, am I just making the best of a bad situation as many people say, or is it I needed to transition to a degree as some in the trans community say, oh, see clearly it's a sign that some people need to transition and some people need to change even a little bit and these little changes are going to be beneficial. I guess we'll never know objectively. A lot of these conditions I deal with, we can't know objectively because getting back to our thesis statement at the beginning of this podcast, when there isn't anything structurally wrong that we can't screen for, everything else is philosophy. It is creating a narrative around the phenomenological, the evidence, the physical data. And so, yeah, th this is a story I tell myself and the story I'm writing in my memoir. Seeing this narrative emerge, at least to me, this is the one that makes the most sense. Is it the truth? Who can say? When I detransitioned, I had all these weird sexual... I, I felt these sexual urges about everything, including my own car. <laughs> I, I've talked publicly about it. <laughs> yeah, just I think I, A, being lonely and not having anyone to explore these things with. But, um, you know, I had this robot delusion. I thought that I was a robot when I was transgender. So, again, taking these hormones without any sort of psychological or really adequate physical support and care, it ruins lives. The fact that I went to another therapist and I said, I have this delusion. I think that I'm a robot. I know that I'm not. Am I schizophrenic? What's wrong with me? I don't like being this way. Oh, no, no. And she was a gender-affirming doctor. She said, no, I, I want to affirm your robot identity. I don't want to, you know, tell you how to live your robot life. I should have just walked out of there right then and there. But you're delusional and you want to be a robot. And the doctor's saying, oh, you actively encouraging mental illnesses, essentially. That's... At this point, that's what they're freaking doing. Because you, so I, uh, this is, a, uh, I think, a video that we should link to that people can get kind of the full scope of what you explain of your uh, auto-androphilic experience in that video. Um, so yeah, I, I think that'd be a good way, yeah, to, to kind of tell that part of the story. Uh, but in there, you're, you're quite talking about the fact that um, a lot of your male identity was wrapped up in this robot character that you identified mm -hmm. with. And yeah. is that the that uh, the Connor character? I'm not sure of the 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 media that it is it a video game or a tv show i don't know anything about yeah, this so, uh, character. connor in, connor is, is named after connor in detroit become human a very popular male character for a lot of trans-identified females um so yeah i will i was pretty predictable so well before i transitioned i had you know i, I was fixated with benedict cumberbatch again such a basic bitch uh, <laughs> and i love the guys in supernatural and all of that and so I, I, I really identified with them. And I wish I'd looked like them and all of that. Um, but then, well, it was actually before I transitioned, uh, there was that motivation. Then after I transitioned, I Alien Covenant came out in 2017 and I fell in love with the Alien franchise all over again. I had this intense autistic obsession with it. And I loved Michael Fassbender. I watched him in every movie. I just thought, he is perfect. That torso is perfect his, his torso ratio i want that i want to be like that 
Um, so yeah, I had an intensive session with him and wanted to be, uh, well, specifically David, I guess, in um, Prometheus. And I bleached my hair blonde and cut my hair the same way and all of that. So it's, again, it's that shaman brain looking for guidance, looking for your identity, looking for your truth, even if it comes through someone else. And then later on, Detroit Become Human comes out. Connor looks a lot more like me, just he's a brunette, similar facial features and coloration and all that. And I go, oh, I can identify with this character, especially because Detroit Become Human is true to your own adventure, essentially. So I can be whatever I want, and I'm already, I'm already developing this android delusion. And now I go, oh, no, but I can live out this fantasy as Connor. Legally changed my name. I'm spiraling. I am clearly, absolutely batshit insane, crazier than a bag full of cats. What do people do? I will affirm you. You know, my friends don't know what to do. Um, it's the same. Oh, I was actually funny enough talking to a woman with schizophrenia at a party a couple of weeks ago. And it was really eye opening. Wow. We have similar experiences. She said, right now, you know, I'm on a medication. I'm doing very well. Right now, I am very sure that here, this part of my head, I have, a, I have a microchip. I know consciously there is no microchip, but there's a part of my brain telling me, nope, there's a microchip there. Yeah. Same thing. I thought I was a robot. I know that's impossible and ridiculous, but also there's a part of me that really wants it to be true, I guess. Um, so, yeah, my identity was really wrapped up in those characters. I'm kind of doing it the same way now. Um, although I think it's because I have the physical attributes of the characters that kind of makes me feel a little better that, um, so I guess my, my two main characters, or three characters that I really connect with. So there's Kazuhiro Miller in Metal Gear. He was on a crutch. I was on a crutch. So it just kind of made me feel more comfort, comforted that I'm on a crutch, but hey, your hero, Miller, had the crutch too. I needed the eye patch. Well, Big Boss needs an eye patch too. Um, I have ptosis in his eye. Also... Guts from Berserk. He's a character who ha he's, he's missing that eye. Eyelid doesn't work. I, I'm relating to this character just physically. I don't actually want to be these characters anymore. I'm old enough, wise enough, self-aware enough. Except when I'm having my sexual fantasies. Then I like to imagine I am those characters. Uh, or Geralt, actually. That's another popular sexual fantasy of mine. Yeah. But I know there's a sexual fantasy. I don't actually want to be Geralt, or I'm going to grow my hair out and bleach it white. No, I just think it would be pretty hot if I was Geralt. <laughs> and uh, I was with Trish. Uh, Trish, sorry. Yeah, it's it's good when you can kind of uh, yeah uh, take the those kind of impulses and kind of conceptualize them in a much more uh, sane way. Still indul indulge, appreciate, but also recognize the difference yeah. between that and and real life. But um, well, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, there's no luck in uh, yeah, kind of distancing the fantasy from real life when your therapist is saying, "Well, you are a robot." Yes, <laughs> there's yeah. yeah, there's no difference between the fantasy and reality. And so, I, I guess, is my concluding statement on auto heterosexuality is finding those that balance between this orientation fetish, whatever you call it and your day-to-day -day life. And so I found a really good balance of, I love bodybuilding. I love watching myself get bigger. Um, I've started to get the striations in my chest and my shoulders. Oh yeah, I'm so excited. I feel so great. Um, and realizing, no, it doesn't make me a man. I mean, I want to be a man, but this subtle masculinization, I like being butch, but also, you know, I like makeup. I like jewelry to a degree. 
not as much as my mother did, but you know, finding the right balance of masculine and feminine for me, I, I'm I like androgyny, and finding well, what do I enjoy sexually, just exploring. Um, highly recommend the writings of Betty Dodson, rest in peace, but she's a hero of mine. She's a sexologist, wrote really fantastic stuff for women, and that really helped me come to terms with my sexuality and just learning how to masturbate and be comfortable with my body um so yeah finding that balance of having a rewarding comfortable sex life even if it is by yourself there is a sex for one book written by betty dodson very good um and indulging in those sexual fantasies uh and then in my daily life just you know i don't remove facial i, I, I do I, i'm sorry the only hair i move is facial hair but still i have a little bit of beard but I don't remove any other facial hair, uh, body hair, except for the facial hair. Oh my god, I can't say this. I can't remove any other hair. Except for the hair. Um, that stroke I had earlier is contagious. I know. Oh my gosh, traumatic brain injury. It's fine. But yes, the only hair I remove is on my face. But my legs, armpits, don't care because it feels a little bit more masculine. I feel more comfortable that way. Uh, I honestly, yeah, when I was removing hair on my leg, I just felt, oh, but it feels so smooth and girly. I don't, I don't like this. Um, and when I was on the dating apps, though, I felt this pressure, you know, trying to find a partner, I felt this pressure to conform to these sex stereotypes. Oh, well, they want a, a woman, a girly girl, you know? Uh, no, they don't. You want to find someone who loves you for you. And I think that also applies to a lot of auto heterosexuals that, you know, if you're a man who feels more comfortable in dresses and makeup, then find a woman who will appreciate that or find a man who will appreciate who, whatever you're into. It's really so, unsustainable to like butch it up or fem it up for the females. Like, yeah. like it's, it's unsustainable. Yeah, you might attract a partner better that way, but you're going to be miserable. You know, if you're having to live an uncomfortable lifestyle for yourself, it's just not not yeah. sustainable and, and not I, wise. Yeah, so this is what auto, I think this is the main struggle auto heterosexual deal with phil illy kind of talks about it the same way it's just what what balance do we strike between how we really want to present what's going to make life easy for us in terms of dating and career and all of that and also comfortable in the bedroom sexually so there's these i guess these three aspects of our life that for most people comes naturally you know, these normal, whoever they are, people who just go through life and, know, well, you know, uh, I'm a straight man, I'm attracted to women, girly women, feminine women, uh, I, I feel like a manly man, I just, you know, present the same at work as I do at home, there's no having to put on different masks, having to be the David Bowie, having to put on these different facades to survive. Um, I think maybe Bowie did do that. It's almost a survival mechanism, maybe in his own life. Oh, he was definitely before. AGP. I have no doubt. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think we're, you know, he's a fascinating man. We can only, again, speculate on someone's life from afar. But, yeah, when you feel that you need to put on these different costumes, different masks, it says something. Uh, and as someone in the cosplay community myself, why, and I should have known this, I, I never cosplayed as female characters. I've never, ever looked at a female character in any movie or game and gone, yes, I would love to cosplay as her. No. Uh, maybe Maleficent. Maleficent had a pretty dope outfit in the movie. But otherwise, yeah, every other female character is kind of, mm, the male version is much cooler. I like the male version of that. Um, or I would do female versions of male characters, you know, like Team Fortress, but I would be a 
girl version of the spy or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that was my way of just exploring my orientation, identity, gender identity. Um, but what you were noticing is there are especially girls who oh no, there are some boys too who they love the cosplay, they love cross-playing. And then down the line, I've noticed a lot of men end up transitioning. Being, right. Mm, they can't separate it. Them. Yeah. They can't they, keep it They distinct. haven't found the balance. Yeah. yeah. And I would really urge any person who, you know, any doctor who is involved with these, these people who are transitioning, try to find a, a life balance first. Try to see if it is possible for someone who can find a means of balancing this because you have to understand hrt srs these are huge changes this is not cosmetic this is not temporary there's no going back well it's been uh, awesome speaking with you courtney thank you uh so much yeah. for telling your story great to meet Sorry, you <laughs> no it's all fascinating stuff <laughs> thanks so much courtney thanks for joining us for this episode of the transparency podcast if you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.